I realized a really important lesson that I, I hope people can take away today is that you can't be financially successful when you're operating in a trauma space and trying to thrive with money. Mm. The reason being is because our subconscious takes over about 60% of our behavior. Mm. And even when you think you are intentionally operating and being aware your subconscious will always come into play and it will dictate your behaviors. And so if you say that I'm going to focus on making more money, you are going to start bringing in sales, but your subconscious will be like, oh yeah, like stop looking at your bank account and let's just spend. Or, oh, you're really anxious today. You're just not going to pay your staff. Or, oh, there's this really cute jacket and these beautiful cars and you're going to start spending on looking really good as opposed to building your business. And so the first thing that I'd say is I had to really take a step back and I had to really focus on my subconscious behavior and I had to start asking questions that I didn't want the answers to. This is the Conscious Economics Podcast, and I'm your host, Rhiannon Roseland. This is the place where we explore people, planet, profit, and art through the lens of the new economy. If you're interested in changing yourself, getting more creative, or changing the system at large, then this is the podcast for you. Tune in every other week as we explore these topics with amazing guests. We'll go deep, we'll go heart-centered and soul-felt as we go into how we change ourselves and change the world. What's up, everyone? This is the Conscious Economics Podcast, and it is officially our first episode of season three. Season three is going to be a real journey. We have so many incredible guests lined up for you this season, and we've made some changes. So instead of our sort of quick and snappy episodes that we've been doing over the last two seasons, we are going deeper this season. We're going long form. We're having more heartfelt conversations with our guests around everything people, planet, profit, art. Um, It's no surprise that today we're launching this first season during Financial Literacy Month. November is the month where all organizations and folks start to concentrate on people's relationship with money. And a couple of weeks ago, Conscious Economics launched its Mindfulness and Money program for entrepreneurs. If you haven't checked it out, go to our website, consciouseconomics.ca. It's there for you and it's free. And really what we're trying to do is take an entirely different approach to conversations about money, conversations about the economy. This is not a boring place. Okay. We are going so deep. We are going into subconscious programming. We're talking about generational trauma. We're talking about love. We're talking about self-worth. We're talking about all of these things that are so related to how we show up with money, yet we don't think about it in that way. And so this particular episode, I'm just so excited for you to listen to the conversation that I had with Dominique Grant. This was recorded just a couple of weeks ago at a live event that we did for the launch of Mindfulness and Money, the program I just mentioned. So let me tell you a little bit about Dominique before we get into this episode. Dominique Grant is in my mind, an absolute conscious economy leader. She is an artist entrepreneur named one of BuzzFeed's top 20 artists to watch from Canada. She is a pop soul singer and songwriter based out of Toronto, and she's had this unbelievable success as an independent artist in working with brands. She has closed some unbelievable deals with L'Oreal Paris, sync placements with Unilever brands, so Vaseline, Shame 
moisturizer Dove. She did a campaign with RBCX Music that was featured during the Grammy Awards in a national commercial spot, highlighting Canadian emerging artists. She's done a TED Talk, which is super badass. I hope you guys all check it out. And she's just doing an amazing job at really having deep layered conversations through her music. So a lot of focus on body positive conversations. Her single Airbrush off her double EP Queen Dom was shortlisted by the Rogers Emerging Artist Radio Program and YouTube Hits. It just goes on and on and on. But what I really want to say is that I love her. I know you're going to love her as well. This conversation was deep. It's heartfelt and I can't wait for you to listen to it. So check it out and we will see how you feel after the episode. So we're going to have a conversation today and of course, we're here and we're gathering because we've just launched Mindfulness and Money for Entrepreneurs, which just came out yesterday digitally. And we'll talk about that towards the end. It's accessible for free on our website and it's three modules, two activities. It's, it's really meant to start and build the foundation of the conscious economy for those that are interested in understanding how to root themselves into that philosophy when thinking about business and their relationship with their own money. But The reason why I wanted to have this conversation with Dominique Grant is because I had the the pleasure, the grace, the opportunity to sit with her just a few weeks ago. We were running a retreat for an incredible group of artists from all across Canada. And Dom came and, you know, we shared the stage and I was so blown away is really what I have to say by the wisdom and the sincerity and the soul connectedness that I experienced in hearing her speak about her own story, her own visioning, her creative you know, energy that she's putting out into the world. And this is me speaking from my heart. I'm going to tell you a little bit more of the specifics of her bio, just for those of you that don't know her, which I know so many of us are watching you and are cheering you on and are so excited about what is coming all around you. It's, it's very visible. You know, we see it. We see it and we cheer for you, especially for those I know that are in the, in the room that have been a part of watching you rise up. So Dom Grant is of course an artist and an entrepreneur. She was named one of BuzzFeed's top 20 artists to watch in Canada, a pop soul singer from Toronto. Um, She's had this unbelievable success. I think really what really sparked something was her creativity during the pandemic until we see the sun when she launched that song and just again, it's it's healing and it's the healing through music that we're watching. But she's also an incredibly savvy business person and entrepreneur and she's been able to create unbelievable partnerships with brands like L'Oreal Paris, sync placements with Unilever brands, Vaseline, Dove, Shea Moisturizer. She also has worked through the RBCX Music Program, was in a national commercial spot highlighting Canadian emerging artists. She's done a TED Talk, of course, if some of you have watched that or if you haven't please do really really unbelievable stuff and in her spare time she's just been doing some work with the united nations and living all around the world as well uganda argentina so really a true innovator when i think about the conscious economy and folks that are already occupying that space and walking that space 
her name comes to mind to me. So I want all of us to give her a really warm round of applause and invite her up. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank Make sure you. you don't mess up your hat. It, it's tilted a it's, little. I'm not a good cowgirl. Like I always forget because I'm wearing the hat, but you have to like hold it in place when people are hugging. So this I'm learning. This outfit is everything. I was so really going for a vibe today. I was going for a bit of a vibe. That's that. Thank you. I shared, I was like, this find with this jacket was a $6 vintage find by, with my mother-in-law. And she's like a really savvy vintage shopper. I'm looking at my husband right now. And we found it and we were like, ooh, so you can find the goods. You just got to go in and you got to be willing to try stuff on and touch stuff that you maybe wouldn't otherwise be drawn to. Can I confess though? So this yes. jumper, yes. I bought this like seven years ago and I've, I've tried to get rid of it. And then I had a corduroy jumper period time where I just wanted jumpsuits in every color. I love it. I got this for $45 at a thrift store. And look at all it's done. You know, so I just, there's a really good need for thrift shopping because it gives us all the things. So let's just honor that. Let's honor that. I feel it. And it's kind of on brand for what we're talking about as well. Not just from a sort of savvy perspective, but also from an environmentally conscious perspective of like, do we really need to keep going out and buying something new all the time? Or can we upcycle and reuse? I love that you've gotten so much use out of that. And it's the best. It's got the whole mermaid vibe. I mean, I'll take it. Like your tail's not here right now, but you're in the jumper. And can we just talk about the fact that the new Little Mermaid trailer just came out? What? So exciting. I just love it. It's very exciting. Now, you just came off of a tour, and you're, well, you're still kind of on it, but you just were, you were touring in South Africa. You were touring all through the U.S. and, and West Coast, L.A. What is going on for you right now, and how does it feel to be back home, and just how are you feeling in general? So after I got past the ongoing feeling of just being permanently tired from the different time zones. Um, South Africa definitely took a bit of energy and the 15-hour plane ride hits you different. I'm feeling great. I I feel great because oftentimes as artists, we tour and we get on the road and we just do a whole bunch of things, but I meaningfully got to connect with beautiful audiences Mm -hmm. in LA and, and Johannesburg were two really amazing shows where my Double EP, we're doing a promo tour for it. It's called Queen Dom. So we're getting ready to release a new EP and it's all about generational healing and forgiveness. And so getting to kind of travel to these new places and to perform music in which people are so willing to be vulnerable and to sing with you and to heal through self-love anthems and through music where we really got to go deep. It was really special. But I, I also think South Africa has a really, really complex history in which aside from just performing... And this is, I think, something that I'm learning as an artist and just a human being, that it's never as simple as just showing up and performing. You really have to understand the environments that you're going into and the interactions that you're having. And so coming back from from Cape Town and Johannesburg, I really had to do a lot of self-healing work because I think when we grow up in Canada, we're often removed from the realities of what the rest of the world is like. And I'm sure we'll talk about living in Uganda and stuff at some point, but going back for the continent for me forces me to have a a level of awareness in which I'm not just showing up as an artist and a performer, but I'm a a black female from Canada going into spaces and interacting with other people and understanding how to navigate that when I'm connected in some way, but I'm also foreign. And so I had to do a bit of work while I was there, but I also got to really enjoy the process of being on the road again and just connecting with audiences and singing music that I'm really passionate about. And that made me feel really good. 
right? So I I am so in awe of just watching you and 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 how you're handling it, if that's the right way to say it. Because you know, it, and again, I know for people that are in the industry and are working, you're working and working like your whole life towards what we're now seeing that looks like this. Oh, there it all is. But I know there's so much that goes into the back end of that. But now you're at this particular space. And I'm sure as, you know, someone who's been pursuing your craft and your goal, you're now in this space that you probably dreamed about being and now you're sitting in the dream kind of. But then when we're there, it doesn't feel like that anymore because you're always thinking about that next. And that's part of that training and that old model of like, instead of being present, we're always thinking of like, what is next or where do I have to go next? Or what do I have to be next? Or who do I have to be next? And so I'm wondering, because I know in getting to know you in the little bit that I have, that you are extremely intentional and extremely present. So how are you sitting in the dream and what does it feel like? And what are some of the practices that you use to actually take in what is going on? Like you were just you know, in South Africa doing show, like that's huge. These are huge things. Yeah. And it's, and, and so this is a really important question because I learned the hard way that you can ask for everything that you want and it can show up and you can still be unhappy without being really, really, really clear on how important being present and being intentional and acknowledging where you are in the processes. And so when you're touring, just as an example, when I mean, you're going to somewhere like South Africa, it was a conference in which my company was also featured by the South African and Canadian consulate at a really big conference. So it was a lot. It was, it was getting there. It was being in 10 to 15 meetings back to back and having to show up as, as an entrepreneur and also as an artist. And then it was, you know, six to 12 a.m. rehearsals with performers and dancers to get ready for the show. And this was every day since landing. And so I think starting in LA, I was there and I was kind of just going through the motion and I actually had a moment and this was what was really exciting for me and which I had to stop. And I had to acknowledge that it is like such a privilege to travel to be paid to do what you do for a living. And, and I think this is one of the most important things that I've taken away from this tour is like, so many of us are not paying attention to how much we're doing. Mm -hmm. Like some of us are, are full-time artists or we're working on becoming full-time artists or we are running a company or we're building our company and, and the, the privilege in itself to be able to do that, it, it is so special. And so there was this one moment in particular in LA, and this was with a So Far Sounds tour, where we have a song that's called Amen, and I get the audience to kind of put forgiveness at the beginning of them in the front of their heart and to think of someone that they need to forgive. And there was this one girl named Hannah in the audience who just, she just was all in pieces, and, and she just had a lot of healing that she needed to do. And so we did something else where the next song, the whole audience, we dedicated it to her. And it was a song called Airbrush, which is just about owning and claiming who you are. And it was that moment in which I realized that it's like, we just have a purpose that's much bigger than us. It's, it's not about just getting on the road and touring and having fancy blue hair and wearing like high heels and, and selling tickets. It's like, we actually have a purpose on this planet and like we're impacting lives. And oftentimes we just don't think about it. And through one single interaction, you can literally change someone's life. And so I think my intention has actually changed away from just booking tours and getting on shows. Like I think we talked about it. I'm, I'm going to be canceling a couple of, of yeah. dates just to really become more, a little more centered. And it's really just 
if we can just like focus every day on like growing 1% and on asking how we can just like impact one life, I think that that's enough. And so the tail end of the answer is that I'm feeling great. I'm feeling all of the things that one would feel when there's just a lot going on, but I'm more present and more intentional than I think I was before. And you talked about intention today, which is so important. And I'm waking up every day and I'm actually asking myself, what, what is my intention? And going into shows, I'm asking, what is my intention? And it's obviously to entertain, but it's a lot more than that. And I'm just becoming open to allowing that to flow in whatever capacity it's, it's supposed it's to. It's flowing. I'm feeling it flowing. And I, again, like even just the story about Hannah, you were present enough to recognize her experience during Amen and then present enough to dedicate that. And it's so true that when big things are happening all around us and there's a lot of energy that's projected at you when you're up on a stage, whether you're a business leader, you're an artist, entrepreneur. And so to actually be able to center yourself and experience and see the faces and make those connections is an art in and of itself. And it's mindfulness and practice is what it is. And so it's... I just love how intentional you are about that. I think that that's really beautiful. And there is a practice in mindfulness where it's almost like we're outside of ourselves and we're, we're being the witness. So instead of being in it, you're performing, you're actually sort of up here watching the fact that you are having this experience of performing. And it's in that space that we can actually get that higher perspective. And, and again, when I think about everyone that's here today and like I look around and I know so many of you are building your own organizations, you're on the ground in community, you're building your art. And again, sometimes it's so easy to get underneath it, right? Where it's all just happening, our to-do list, the things that we have to, the calls, the this, the that, that we forget to come outside of ourselves and witness. You're having this like, life experience right now. You're on this earth walk and you're creating something. And if we can come back to the intention, just like you said, of what you're creating, then there's a different energy that flows. And that's a lot about when I think about this new economy or this new way of approaching business and money, which again, it seems so crazy. Like, how are we talking about love and money in the same sentence? But we need to be because foundationally, it's been at the center of all the things that have hurt a lot of us. And so how do we shift that? And so I know you've been really open about what it's felt like to be building your business as an entrepreneur, not having all the answers, sort of figuring it out. And are you open to sharing with us what some of that experience has been like for you? You know, how did it start off and, and maybe where is it now in terms of, yeah, it's a, it's a different thing to be a leader of an organization, which you are at the same time as also being a performer. Yeah. So, and first of all, thank you. I just appreciate you and so thank you. I, I maybe will start and just take it back a little bit to just understanding a bit about my story. So I grew up with a mother who immigrated from Jamaica and my mom came when she was about 10. My grandma had seven children and managed to come over here and, and very similarly worked really hard to kind of build that foundation. And we also grew up in a low-income neighborhood and, you know, my experience was that I just love the neighborhood that I grew up in. I would go out and play jumpsies every day. I love the the fact that I could just hang out with my neighbors all the time and it felt like the neighborhood that I grew up in was really normal until I was about 
you know, 12 and I went to a school outside of my neighborhood and started realizing that a lot of people didn't look like me and a lot of the experiences weren't similar. When people shared and talked a bit about, you know, their experiences, they were very light. And mine were talking about the experience of hearing firecrackers and realizing that they were gunshots. And, you know, having to heal and having to sing at community funerals because maybe 50% of the young men in my neighborhood were killed before the age of... 18. This was normal for me. And so I grew up going into spaces where the juxtaposition was so different that I developed a shame and I developed this idea of wanting to, to, to play really small and to not stand out. I have very big curly hair when it's not straightened or looking like this. And so I was the 5'9 girl who looks like me and who would walk into rooms and I often just wouldn't stand tall because the idea of constantly sticking out amongst other people who didn't look, sound or have the same experience just was really challenging. But my mom she consistently challenged me and said, we're going to put you into these spaces because you need to grow and you need to continue to grow. And so I think that the knack for community development and understanding neighborhoods came when I was maybe 16 or 17 and I just got tired of hearing the same story and seeing the same thing. And I wanted to understand a little more thoroughly how one could grow up in a neighborhood like this and how they could eventually find success. And so I volunteered for a board of directors in my neighborhood. It was, I grew up in a neighborhood called Alexandra Park, also called Atkinson Housing. Mm -hmm. And it actually is a co-op, so I didn't realize there was a historical... How old were you when you were volunteering for this? Like, were you a young teenager? I was young. I was about 16 oh, when I started. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so just to put it into perspective, continue. <laughs> Yeah. So like the fact you're even thinking like that at 16, it just is it's such a testament to like the essence of who you are. But continue. Well, thank you. That's really um, something. Yes. Yeah. But but I, I think the the realization in that space was like there are things happening and I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And and so volunteering for that board of directors, I was the secretary for the first year. And then in the second year, at 17, I was the vice president. And wow. at 18, I became the youngest president of a housing co-op in Canada. Wow. And I want to take it back a minute because we're talking about mindfulness and money. And I didn't realize that being that young, it wasn't normal to kind of be in that position. But I was introduced to looking at budgets that were, you know, in the half a million and, and seeing numbers and not really knowing what they meant but just knowing that I had to find a way to have a seat at the table and I had to find a way to run board meetings and I had to find a way to be confident in a lot of the moments that were really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so the culmination of, of just kind of doing a lot of work in the social housing space, just solely because I grew up in it. Mm -hmm. And then my mom having put me in theaters to really start to find an outlet for the, the things that I was doing. There's a really particular experience that changed the entire trajectory of my, of my whole life. And that was getting selected to go to Uganda to do my first internship. And so I was often told a really common story. Uh, you know, when you grow up in neighborhoods like this, the likelihood of graduating high school, going to university, yada, 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 is very, very slim. And so I had a mentor that came along. And this is kind of just a lesson on the fact that People will come into your life at every stage and you don't know why they're there, but for some reason they see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And those are the people that help us become the best version of ourselves. And so I have a mentor by the name of Tom. Um, he was the executive director of the organization, uh, the larger Canadian national office for, for co-op housing. And he was the person that for whatever reason, he was like, I'm going to put you in this room and you are going to chair this meeting. And 
you are going to talk about the fact that you're young and you don't really know what you're doing, but that you're showing up because you believe in community development. And he was the person who got me to apply for my first scholarship and got my university tuition covered solely because by the time that I was about 21, I had over like thousands upon thousands of volunteer hours that I thought were normal. Wow. 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 I mean, this is huge because this is the foundation of your journey as the entrepreneur that you are now. Like even when, you know, you hear your story and you starting grant creativity and, and just like, this doesn't exist. So I'm going to create it. Like that comes from all the years of experience. And again, a lot of people don't recognize experience when you're 16 and 17, but that is, it's valid, genuine experience that you've been doing this and building this for years. So it's taking you into the container of what you've built now. And that's unbelievable. And I started my first business at 10 and, (laughs) and I did. And like for fun, it was fun for me to knock on strangers' doors and sell things. Like I was just born to do that. And it, again, the circumstances were because, you know, I, I wanted to buy pizza and I didn't want to bother my, you know, mom and, and people for money. And I, I wanted to put myself to good use. And I wanted to, from the very beginning, in, in hearing the statistics and hearing all the things of what people like me who grew up like me would become, I was like clawing out of it at such an early, like I didn't want to be defined in those ways. And so bringing back to and I interrupted you kind of, but oh, no. this, this which I do all the time please. and I'm so sorry. I'm the worst. I shouldn't interview you're not, anyone. You're not the worst. <laughs> you're actually quite pleasant and there are many other people in this world that should not interrupt people. So this is not a problem. But I want what I want with that foundation because that sounds amazing. So it, now all of a sudden everyone in here is like, well, she's in another category than me though because I didn't do that. So I don't have, and, and what I want, you to get into is you have this incredible foundation. What were the things that were still showing up that you didn't maybe realize or learn that started to come up? Yeah, and and I I want to I want to back up because I think that's a really like important point. It's like someone will hear that and they'll be like, okay, well you are clearly driven at a young age to just do all of these things, and I don't have that drive. And and it isn't that. It isn't a drive. It's a necessity. And mm-hmm. at a really early age, I was taught that we often are gifted with a vision and with images in our head and with ideas that come to us and we just dismiss them because we're like, oh yeah, like this is too hard to do. This comes in the form of a business idea. It comes in the form of seeing a product in your head. It comes in the form of having a really random idea of not just like working, you know, a corporate job, but maybe I want to like volunteer a little bit and I just want to do something else. The thing that my mom taught me is that imagination is like the gateway to life's coming attractions. And that's an actual quote. Mm. And understanding the fact that an idea is the only thing that is separating you from making the money that you want and from living the life that you that you want to live but acting on the idea is the only thing and so I deal with anxiety on an ongoing basis. It's like a, a thing that I've actually, I use the term exciting now because I watch my language. I love that reframe that you did. It's important. I like it. It's, I'm going to start using it. We should because it. <laughs> so you're just excited. You're excitable. And excitement and anxiety are actually the exact same hormone yeah, in your body. Yeah, it's in your body. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. That, that is a mind-blowing tool just right then and there, just to know that and be able yeah. to reframe it. And it's so much less scary. Yeah. As you experience it. But but in that, yes. <laughs> just, 
Also, I had a moment where when you were talking about selling door to door, I was trying to imagine the little version of you just showing up. Oh my gosh. And, and I know. selling. I had a whole jingle it's, that I wrote. It's, oh, okay. I would sing it to people. <laughs> it gets the sales. I'm telling you. <laughs> it gets the sales. <laughs> Okay, but you're continuing and we're staying on track. Okay, we're going to yeah. come back. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I want to just explain that, that it's like when you often grow up in spaces where you don't have a lot, you have to be taught how to maximize the things that you have. And visualization is something that I had to learn, it, regardless of what was going on around me, who was around me, what I was being told. I would just literally have to learn how to focus inward and how to understand how to see things before they happen. And I know that that sounds really spiritual and all up in the air, but I, I one of the tidbits I want to take, I, I'm hoping to give you before I, I continue the story, is that everyone in this room literally has an idea. You have things that are like coming into your brain and because you just don't think that they're valid or you don't have anyone to validate those ideas, you're literally dismissing them and you're moving on and expecting someone else to come along and to help you come up with ideas. You like have everything that you need already. And, and that's the thing. And so... My mother consistently told me this story growing up. She told me, regardless of what teachers said about my learning capabilities or what, what I looked like, she was like, you have everything that you need and you just need to zone in and taking action. And so one of the tools that I've had to master is taking action despite fear, despite trauma, despite whatever's happening and understanding that it's not about overcoming the fear, it's about knowing that you just have to push through it and you have to push through it long enough in order to show up for yourself. And so... One of the experiences that absolutely changed my entire trajectory on, and I know I didn't talk a lot about me being an artist because I can get to that. I was like singing and doing quite a few things on the artist side while I was working in the co-op housing space. But I, I managed to get the money to go to university despite being told that I'd never graduate high school. And Tom helped me do that. And in my third year of university, I went to York. I studied international development and I did a double major in theater design and performance. Made no sense to anyone, but I was like... I love it. It's so new economy. It is, right? It's so like, new economy. We're on break. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Continue. <laughs> it was it was just that like I knew that there was a connection between the arts and between development. And growing up in this neighborhood, I was like, there's something bigger that I need to learn about. And so I applied for an internship at York International. When you audition or interview for one placement, you actually interview for all 52. And I applied to go to England because I was like, I'm going to go and pursue music. That's what I'm going to focus on. And then they were like, hey, uh, we actually want to send you to Uganda. Wow. And so I'm going to just talk to you about my initial response. I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like, this is problematic. I was like, how dare you only pigeonhole me as a woman of color and send me to Africa when I applied for the UK. And just all of these things popped up, which we have to really, really, really check. Because oftentimes, regardless of whatever the limitations are that we've been told we have, there are times when they're actually like real. And there are also times when we have to be careful of not projecting our beliefs on other people. And so my mom actually sat me down and she was like, why are you receiving this experience in this particular way? And I realized that the conditioning that I had been taught for most of my life was coming into play. I was like, oh, I'm being given this opportunity where my entire trip is paid to go to Uganda to live there for half a year. And the instant reaction is that I am tied to pain and to the fact that I am undeserving of it. So that happened. I took the internship. I got flown halfway around the world and I was working with an organization called Shanti Uganda and they had one goal. They were like, we just need you to develop a program that focuses on supporting young women in the region. And I was like, what are the parameters? They were like, there are none. I was like, there's no limitation. They said, no. I said, this is your biggest mistake, but we are going to run with this. <laughs> and so it started out with 
having to go to Uganda and to have a lens and I had an identity crisis because we're told the story here about, you know, our parents are Canadian and some of us are Caribbean and some of us are African and some of us are European and we're all tied to these identities in Canada because that's what we've been taught. But when I got to Uganda, everyone thought I was a Ugandan woman who lost my culture. Oh my God. They were like, why don't you know the language? Why do you look like us? And you are in a volunteer house with all non-people of color because there were no other volunteers that looked like me. Mm. And so I learned the biggest lesson in privilege being in Uganda, that privilege is not about black and white. The fact that I am a woman of color with a passport, with the ability to leave and come back from Uganda, and an education and an English accent immediately puts me in rooms where I could be in rooms with people that were three times my age who had master's degrees and PhDs, and solely because of my accent and because of where I'm from, they would prioritize my opinion and silence everyone else. Mm -hmm. And so the first lesson that I learned is that we need to reframe this idea of privilege everywhere that we go, and we need to stop thinking about it as black and white and judging each other. But every one of us has a level of privilege that if we really use, understand how to use as a tool, Mm -hmm. we can actually elevate and create space for new people. And so the first thing that I had to do in Uganda, aside from letting go of this idea of a, you know, a black Canadian with Jamaican parents and not being African, was accept that regardless of what I wanted to preach, everyone was like, you're African and we are not accepting another answer. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's cool. So you just adopted it I for just the was time like, there. People asked, I was like, I'm Canadian, but I'm African and I'm Ugandan. That was, <laughs> that's the end. That's the end of yeah. it. Yeah. And there were other layers that I had to really address as to why that was a challenge. These are huge things. And again, like this is what I mean by you're bringing this wisdom back home here because we don't all have the experience of going out into the world and being able to be mirrored back to ourselves what we're thinking, what we're believing, who we are. And it's, it's why also, you know, at Conscious Economics, we're so intentional about like, I hope we can look around and see a whole bunch of different people that don't normally come together, coming together, because it's that mirroring of being able to be like, oh, that's who I am, or oh, that's who you think I am. And again, when we're thinking about building a new economy, a new way of doing business, a new way of interaction, a new way of learning, it's actually that essence. It's that. It's like, how do we mirror something different to one another so we can get out of the traps we've created? Because there are a lot of traps that we continue to perpetuate within ourselves even. And, you know, and there's stuff there too around like when you learn that in Uganda and then you came back, how do you actually fit back into the culture here that doesn't understand that and wants you to go back into that, you know, languaging and that whatever of privilege means this now back here? Like how do you embody the new thing coming back into the old space? Because that takes a level of self-confidence that... I didn't have as a young person. I, I was like trying to blend back in. So how how did you do that? And you're still answering the other question too. You know, and I'm going to shorten this because like this story is very long and I'm going to figure out the, 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 not to go through it all. But I think the short answer is that you don't. In the theater world, there's something called social contracts that you learn. And so what social contracts are is in any given room that you walk into and in any environment, there are subconscious social contracts that we make with each other, they show up in the form of the way that we dress, the way that we speak, and the way that we behave. Mm. And in any, you know, corporate environment we do this, 
at any event, we, we do this, and this is something that we don't plan to do, but we're human beings, and this is just what we're programmed to do. Mm-hmm. And so in the theater space, you know, if you're doing improv and you put artists in a room for five to ten minutes, you'll notice at the beginning they're all doing different things, and toward the end they're all doing very similar things. That's what social contracts are called. And so I have had to learn to write my own social contracts, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm not aware of, you know, not really having that at the front of my brain. Mm-hmm. But... I've had to internally adopt these ideas myself and in, in, in the conversations that I have. I don't try to teach people because there's an onus and a burden that's put on a lot of people to teach and to educate mm-hmm. when I think people need to go through their own experience with things like privilege and, and different things like that. But I try to adopt it you know, in, in the company that I run, in, in mm-hmm. the hiring practices, in, mm-hmm. in spaces when I speak to people, but also just on a quiet level. And this kind of comes back to some of the experiences in Cape Town. And this is not just like an African thing. This is a all around the world thing where every minute of the day we're in spaces where we have to understand how much space we're taking up. This is a gender thing. This is a corporate ladder thing. Mm-hmm. This is an artist thing in the room and trying to figure out when to speak versus when to listen. Mm-hmm. You just really have to practice it. Mm-hmm. You have to practice being silent when you really want to speak, but you know that there is another you know, female in the room who has something important to say and that people aren't listening to. Mm-hmm. You have to practice it when you're in a room with artists and you're songwriting and there's one person dominating the entire songwriting session, but you have to understand that the most powerful tool that you can have as a songwriter is filling in, in any role that's needed in order to get the song done. Mm-hmm. You adopt it as a leader of an organization where instead of talking down to your employees and being the person instilling information. You have to be quiet sometimes and realize that they have opinions and ideas to share and that you have to learn from. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's like at every aspect of what we do, we can integrate the learnings as so long as we don't put a box around how we're learning it and we're not afraid to validate our experience in any given room that we go into. I think that's so powerful. I think it's it's such a powerful piece of wisdom. And again, I think that the way that you are teaching is through embodiment and you're embodying these experiences and then you're showing up in that way. And rather than us having to learn, we're literally watching and being like, how can we find that part in ourselves? And that's what you're doing and it's really powerful. The Conscious Economics Podcast is brought to you by CPP Investments, manager of the Canada Pension Plan Fund. Canadians can be confident in the fund's sustainability. CPP Investments has earned more than $300 billion in the last 10 years and has more than $500 billion invested around the world. The Canada Pension Plan is set to provide a retirement income foundation for generations to come. To learn more, visit cppinvestments.com. Now, I want to bring it back to money for a second because in being immersed in your music over the last week, it's all I've been listening to. I've just been like literally immersed, immersed, immersed so I can get in your head and in your mind for a minute. You write about money so much. I was like, this is crazy. Like you have a song called Investment. You, you know, Free is another one where you're talking about scenarios again. And it just like, it's coming up as a theme over and over again, but it's really interesting how it's coming up. So can you take us into your money imprintation a little bit? Like what is your money psychology? Where, where were you? Where are you trying to go with it? I'm hearing it come through all the music. I'm seeing you wanting to stretch into embodying a new relationship with it. Like I see that and it's coming through the art. So 
tell us that. That's like such a weird, like that seems like such an invasive question, but it's mindfulness and money and we're here. And so I hope that that's an okay. It's a great question. Okay. And also I didn't realize, like, you know, you know, when you're talking to someone, you're like, oh yeah, I know, look, I do have quite a few songs about money. You really do. Yeah. I do. It's kind yeah. of. And so a part of the answer to this, and I'm going to make this really, really short. Is no, time. you're not, are you? I, I literally am. <laughs> I'm going to have to because I'm like, you're not telling an entire life story in six minutes. I do, and, but we are interested. So yeah. leave the good parts in. Like, I think, I think the tail end of it is that Ugandan experience of just being given an environment to create a program yeah. led to creating an arts festival on the first one in a in a, a village two hours north of Kampala, which is the main city in Uganda. You created the arts festival. So of course she did. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to explain why this is like, it's important for just the talent and the things that everyone brings to the table is because I arrived in Uganda with this idea that I just sat on a, a co-op housing board and that I'm an artist and a singer and I have a theater background. And through someone saying, hey, Dominique, we need to create a program to engage young people. I was like, okay, cool. Why don't we find a way to get celebrities in Uganda to pair with, you know, an organization that uses silent theater to help create and increase access to education for kids that have disabilities who can't afford to go to school. And why don't we interview teachers who have the experience and knowledge that I don't have who live here, who actually are experts and that I should hire. And why don't we bring this all together to create an educational music festival that will help to eliminate barriers to education, that will help to increase you know, music in the communities, and that will also allow teachers to connect with celebrities and mentors across the country that can help young artists emerge and build careers. And so the answer to this question is that every single little random experience that you have has a dollar value to that. And when I got back to Canada, I received my first humanitarian award at the age of 22. And then that led to being invited by the United Nations to speak at large conferences and to perform. And that led to my first TED talk. And that led to me understanding that the value and the idea of money that I have taken away from saying, hey, I have not yet been paid a million dollars. I have not yet, I wasn't even paid for that whole experience. It's that there are these random experiences that when you culminate them and bring them together, just like conscious economics, mm -hmm. they all make up the sum of your value. It's a currency. It's yeah. the currency. Yeah. You're, you're, you're working with other currencies. And again, I think that's one of the biggest limitations that we have in thinking about our relationship with money or finance is that we're only thinking about one part of the currency. And you have just displayed all of these other currencies that were starting to build the foundation. So if someone came and said, like, let me look in your bank account, which that's weird and don't do that with anyone who's just asking you that. <laughs> don't get scammed. Don't get scammed. Yeah. That's a whole other series we can bring up. But no, but it's truly like being able to understand that the foundational investment and saving and accumulation that was happening through those experiences is a currency. It's, it's a currency and it's, it's the beginning of being able to understand how to attract the money mm -hmm. because we're sitting in these spaces where we're relying on, as artists, we're relying on people to book us. As, you know, companies, we're, we're relying on all of these like hourly paychecks and we don't realize that we are actually the person attracting all of this stuff and the mm -hmm. ownership of these skills is what is going to allow your businesses to grow. Mm -hmm. The ownership of the things that you don't think are valuable are going to allow people to pay you for the skill set that you have. And so kind of going into practical things, just to give an example, I want to talk about Laura L is an example. Yeah, that was a huge brand it, like deal for you. So yeah, explain how you did that. And again, you're taking us into, so you're saying that your 
money psychology was quite healthy then because is that what you're kind of saying so, because it sounds very positive to me right mm-hmm. now like mine was not the I skinned my knees it, even it, though I was building some of these other currencies with the actual currency for some reason it had a different value to me still mm-hmm. so these because I wasn't recognizing all the accumulation of all the things that I was learning with the actual currency I was like a hot mess when yeah. that came into my space but I don't, that's, that's not your experience. So I think, I think the experience is just the beginning of being able to actually make your own money begins with understanding and acknowledging the skill set that you have. That's yeah. really, really unique and that other people don't have and not taking for granted the knowledge that you've built through lived experience and through the companies that you work with. Mm-hmm. The practicality of that's a hot mess at the beginning. Yeah. And so I nearly went bankrupt okay. in my, you know, my first two or three years of attaining the money that I wanted to run my business. Mm-hmm. Many people are taught how to use credit cards, mm-hmm. how to use credit, how to get major sponsorships and how to actually effectively run them. Mm-hmm. I was never taught how to use a credit card. And so when I got one in university, I didn't use it properly. Mm-hmm. And when I got my first major sponsorship for an event that I did maybe in 2016, which was when it was the largest amount of money that I got. Mm -hmm. I was not taught about the contracts that needed to be put in place so that if a sponsor pulls out last minute, you're not stuck with a $25,000 bill. Mm -hmm. I was also... I didn't, I didn't have a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. So I got these skills and I was like, yes, amen, we're getting the money. And now I was like, oh, I'm the only person left here to deal with actually understanding how to manage it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the challenges with money, they, they came up. It was that I was making it. I didn't understand you know, profit loss and revenue. I didn't understand how to actually ensure that you're paying yourself. I was just like, I'm going to put all my money into the cause and I'm going to do yeah, my best, exactly. which is I'm sure like you know. It's the same thing I did. And it's interesting because, again, as entrepreneurs and as artists, it's different than working in a, you know, a corporation where you're receiving a paycheck, there's parameters around you. There's a plan. There's an organizational infrastructure. When you are an entrepreneur and a especially if you are a first generation entrepreneur so you didn't get to watch somebody you know building a business or understanding those pieces and now you're out and you're building it yourself and it's the success and the getting the money is one part of it okay that's the thing we get we think we're so excited about when you actually get it now there's a whole other layer to how do you execute manage that time ensure that you will be able to keep that function again that you don't get a partnership once and then it's gone and it's wrecked and whatever else and that was exactly my experience I was so invested in the cause that I didn't think about the rainy day that could come down the road or the situation over here like I was literally just putting so much into the cause and at such a speed, like full speed, a gallop, a canter, that it was coming as fast as it was going. And then of course, when there is something tricky that comes and there's so many things in business, like in 14 years of running, you know, the economic club, like a large national business and having so much in and out of everything coming and and having ideas. And because I grew up as a kid having ideas and I would execute them, I was doing that same thing. And like even my my staff and the people around me couldn't keep up with what I was like, and now this, and now that. And it was getting out of control. But for me, and I've done a lot of work to realize this, my nervous system was conditioned for chaos in my upbringing. So chaos felt very normal to me, actually quite comfortable. 
I, I almost thrived better in chaos than I did when it's more still and calm. I didn't know how to function in that. I would actually drop into almost like it felt depressing or like it wasn't enough. And so it was really hard for me to put a boundary back and realize that this is impacting my relationship with money because I'm creating the chaos so I can figure out a problem again because that's the only way I feel useful. Because in my household, I was in chaos and then making use of being the peacemaker or being the one to come in and whatever. So I was doing that again in my business. I'd, I'd add to that too, that a, a part of the chaos that we subconsciously create is like procrastination. Yeah. So I, oh, would, yeah. I would thrive in this. I had to learn how to write grants myself because I just didn't have, I didn't have representation and I didn't have anyone to get money for me. Yeah. And so I, I, I became really good at writing grants and getting money. And I would literally wait until the last minute and pull an all-nighter mm-hmm. or a double all-nighter because I was like, oh, I thrive in pressure. No, you shouldn't thrive in pressure. Like we should thrive in pressure, but like it is not healthy to, to do double all-nighters to get money. And it's like, you had two months to write this grant. Why all of a sudden do you have all of the inspiration? And that is subconscious programming. Yeah, 100%, which comes back to this mindfulness and money. Like it's, it's the theme because these subconscious pieces, they're programmed into us, but they're also programmed into our societal norms within the economy. So I go to like my friends that I work with that are in corporate infrastructure and it's still the same thing because we're piled on with so much. It's literally impossible. Actually, when you look at it, you're like, it's actually not even possible to do this. So this is insane. There should be five extra people in this role. Doing it. Like literally. And so we end up having to push everything to the last second. We somehow manage to pull it out of our hats and it's all great. But at the end we're like, (laughs) and then we can't actually stop, ground ourselves in and figure out how we're going to solve all the problems in the freaking world. And we end up in this like perpetual loop where we're too tired to think about it and too tired to change. And I think that in that though, that is the moment and it's the breaking point. And that's one of the things that has completely transformed me and just my career and my company. And like, I, I literally started my company. So my company today is called Grant Creativity Inc. I started it in 2014 because I just had, I didn't have representation. It was really difficult to find a manager as a black pop artist in Canada and no one was knocking on my door. And so I was like, okay, cool. We're going to start a company. And brands were like, oh, cool. We don't just want music. We want, you know, some really unique experiences. And because of my theater background, I was like, okay, cool. We can turn an audience at Canada's 150th into a Canadian flag while I'm singing. And these are these are normal ideas that we have. And again normal for you. For no, no. <laughs> normal for you. And I, I say it though because it's like this conversation that I'm having about these things that probably sound really far-fetched to people are like everyone has a company and you have a, an area of brilliance that you just think is normal and it isn't normal. And that's where we can literally make more, but actually change the planet with those skills. Mm. But it was the breaking point for me in which the culmination of being an entrepreneur, trying to do everything, having to do everything, having to run and manage the money, having to build a music career, having to be in spaces that I didn't understand, having to pull my anxiety back and show up and feeling validated and doing too much. That was where I just started having breaking points. And Mm -hmm. Oprah has a quote where she says, at first you're gonna hear a whistle and then you'll hear a knock, 
and then something will kick the door and the door will get kicked down. Yeah. If you don't listen. And I have a wonder, Kezia's here. Just a big shout out to Kezia. She's a many times I've called her and just been like, hey, I need a do you have time to have a meeting? Because it takes being around other entrepreneurs that are operating at an effective level for you to understand where your broken needs to be turned into whole. But the other thing Powerful. that I learned this week, and that has been a big takeaway, is you have to be very careful about approaching your growth from a lack mindset. Uh, and yes. I had an amazing conversation with the SEAL this week, just kind of you know talking about those things and yeah. and, and then making sure that when you're growing, yeah. you're not coming at it from a, I don't have enough, but you're coming at it from I have everything and I'm in development. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's just it again. And these are these little tweaks, which obviously a seal is, you know, a a huge staple within the whole program. And again, another person that when I met her, it was like, I couldn't even handle the resonance in terms of the way that she was thinking about the psychology of money, financial therapy as a concept, which is so under developed in Canada. It is like after the 2008 financial crisis in the US, financial therapy became a real thing. It was the Financial Therapy Association in the US, but there's only two people in Canada, a SEAL being one of them, that is, you know, an actual financial therapist. And so it's so true. The growth sometimes, and when you're in that mode, you spend so long wanting to be there and then you're there and you're terrified. Like you're absolutely freaking terrified, especially if you've had an experience of failure and you mentioned bankruptcy. And it's so interesting because I thought I was going to go bankrupt at one point and I didn't. I managed to figure it out, but I got myself into such a state because in my growth, I was again, not planning for everything, not going exactly perfectly logically as planned. And I was overextended in too many places. At that point, I had three offices across Canada, staff, like blah, blah. And I just done it all so fast. And with no, I was so terrified to ask for support because I was so young and felt that I didn't belong in my role already that I was like, I just have to like, figure this out. And it was at such a point. And I remember going back into my family lineage and my history and my grandfather, he was an inventor and an airplane engineer. And after the war, and so my, the the family was well, well to do at that point. And then he went and served in the war and he came back like many with really bad PTSD and nobody really knew anything about that at the time. And so he did what many people of his generation did to deal with the pain. He drank and he ended up drinking himself into such a state that they lost everything. But because he was such a powerful inventor, there was literally newspaper articles of like inventor goes bankrupt. And so this is, in my lineage. It's in my family name. And then I watched four or five other family members have to declare bankruptcy. And so this bankruptcy, it was almost like it was haunting me. And I was like, am I going to be this? Like, am I going to extend that? Is that what it's going to be? And I had to do so much work around it to actually not have to go there, but to actually be able to hold my nervous system back and say, I can figure this out, but it's going to start with me getting really honest about the truth of where I'm at and the fact that I can make it look like it's, I'm really great at my job. I know what I'm doing, but this part is really vulnerable that I don't. And I'm ashamed that I don't. And I, now I'm pretending and I'm posturing. And that is what happens for so many entrepreneurs and so many people that are coming from an experience of not having that generational wealth of the conversation around the table or those things. And 
it's this is why we're creating these programs because these conversations have to happen. And I'm so tired of hearing like, let's create more entrepreneurs and and like all of these accelerators and things. And like, you're giving people all of that side, but you're not giving the foundational side of this stuff, which is the, it's the reality. So how did you manage to go from, you know, where you thought things were not going well to get yourself to here where you're literally speaking to a financial therapist in your growth set and get being so responsible, like having so much self-love for yourself and knowing these are the steps I'm going to take. And there's no shame in me learning those skills that I may not fully have a grasp on. Yeah. And so like, first of all, similar to you, I, I didn't go bank. I didn't end up going bankrupt, yeah. but we I didn't do it. It's we like, we pushed through it. that. Yeah. We were like, <laughs> But it was gloomy. It was like I, I got my first major, major contract. It was the biggest revenue year for my company where we were bringing in a lot, a lot more money than, you know, my, my family doesn't have many businesses that they've started. And so I was like, okay, cool. You're just going to carry this load. And the, the big thing was the sponsor that pulled out. So the sponsor went bankrupt themselves. And we built this whole set for my last album. It was called Playhouse. And it was like a 5,000 square foot childhood experience. And they were supposed to sponsor $40,000. And I was like, this is cute. And on top of that, this whole set needs to be stored somewhere. So I had oh to... Oh, my God. So long story short, I had to really take a step back. And after getting to the position where I started realizing that, like, my basic payments were, were only covering the interest. Like, I had to take out credit cards where I had a $20,000 credit card and I had to put it all on there. And I was like, okay, cool. You're never going to get out of this situation if you do not take a step back and you don't reflect. And I realized a really important lesson that I, I hope people can take away today is that you can't be financially successful when you're operating in a trauma space and trying to thrive with money. Mm. The reason being is because our subconscious takes over about 60% of our behavior. Mm. And even when you think you are intentionally operating and being aware, your subconscious will always come into play and it will dictate your behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so if you say that I'm going to focus on making more money, you are going to start bringing in sales, but your subconscious will be like, oh yeah, like stop looking at your bank account and let's just spend. Or, oh, you're really anxious today. You're just not going to pay your staff. Or, oh, there's this really cute jacket and these beautiful cars and you're going to start spending on looking really good as opposed to building your business. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that I'd say is I had to really take a step back and I had to really focus on my subconscious behavior and I had to start asking questions that I didn't want the answers to. I started getting in touch with people that made way more than me and that had an ideal life that I wanted, you know. Expansion, yeah. Expansion, and and it goes to kind of the L'Oreal thing Mm -hmm. where I realized that you can't approach a brand and expect a brand to invest in you if you don't reflect the ideals and the people that they sponsor. And so uh, Janelle Monae is an example, someone who I really, really love, and I love her career because of how positive she is and what she's... Obsessed. She's her. incredible. And she's on that frequency. She's just on it. She's on it. She's she's totally on it. And I don't want to jump around too much, but uh, the core of me overcoming a lot of the trauma was visualization. And so I teach visualization now, but I start- Which is subconscious reprogramming, which is, in, which is in the mindfulness and money program. The visualization, being able to get yourself into the state in it, literally your brain waves in the state to be able to receive the visualization through breathing and coaching that Sheena does in the meditation. But then from that space, being able to start to implant the new values that you'd like to be able to see and doing that repetitively, because the most exciting thing about all of this, despite how scary it sounds that 
oh my gosh, our subconscious is running the show and all of these things that we've picked up are all going to have, you know, implications for the way that we run business or our lives, but we are reprogrammable. We are able to reprogram those things. We can actually do that. And, and in that, and understanding the importance of visualization, like if, if anyone in here doesn't have a visualization practice, it's the, the number one thing you need to start. So the brain does not know the difference between what you see and the images that you program in your brain. Therefore, if you're waking up every day in the same environment, you're seeing the same things and you're doing the same things, you're not allowing your brain to expand and to get the things that you want. So you're, you're, you have this idea, you're like, I have a big dream, I wanna do all these things, but you're not in an environment and you're not seeing any of those things. So, so for anyone who you know grew up in a neighborhood that wasn't the best or is just in a space, just for anyone in general, if you're not waking up and programming images into your brain, then what's gonna happen is they're gonna come to you and you're not gonna be prepared to receive them. So as a, as a simple example, I do a visualization exercise where I imagine 10 people that I want to be my mentors and that I want to influence and inspire my career. I imagine them at a table every day and I imagine them giving me feedback. So far I have, I have met eight of these people. In random places, they have just walked up to me in an audience. Janelle Monet walked up to me when I went to New York by myself in a crowd of 50,000 people and just said hello. Les Brown walked up to me when he was in town in Toronto and asked if I knew of a vegan restaurant and I ended up opening for him. And the only reason that I was able to turn these opportunities into actually something tangible is because I did the visualization training to prepare and to feel worthy of those experiences. Because anyone else, you know, seeing a really prominent figure might have choked up, might have not known what to say, might have asked for an autograph, might have not known what to do. But I knew, I was like, okay, cool, you're prepared for this because you visualize visualize yourself being on stage with these people and working with these people. And if Les Brown is standing in front of him, you're going to let him know that you're a singer songwriter. You're going to recite all of his quotes and you're going to ask how you can be of service to him. And so the takeaway that I want to say in regard to like how we move through getting out of really, really difficult times with money is we don't rely on repetitive stories that are dictating where we're going to go. We don't rely on the people that often are not a part of inspiring us to do more, but remind us that we're not gonna make it. You have to step back and you have to ask yourself, what is the expectation and what is the social contract that I'm sticking to right now that's defining where I'm gonna go, that's setting a standard for where you are, and that's gonna dictate where you're going. And if you can catch that and ask yourself at every difficult period of your career, of your life, what am I supposed to learn from this? Then when you're about to go bankrupt, you can say, you know what? I am supposed to learn that it's not about getting a large influx of money. It's about first understanding how to be grateful for what you have, Mm -hmm. how to manage what you have, Mm -hmm. and cash flow is at the core of one of the key things that you need to learn. Mm -hmm. And so in moving into anyone who might be in a difficult time right now, or even for a CEO of a company right now that's looking to expand and to double or triple their profit, the number one question that we always need to ask is what social contract am I trying to fit into in regard to attracting new clients, to bringing people on board, to taking advantage of opportunities. And so going back to the L'Oreal, when L'Oreal had an event coming up, I spoke with my assistant at the time and I was like, put a package together. I really modeled my career after Janelle because we have a lot of milestones that I wanted to hit. And we approached our meeting with L'Oreal as if I were at the level of Janelle Monet at the time. Wow. 
And in that, we, we, we did a music partnership. We did, you know, walked a red carpet with the cast that had to go away with murder. And people were like, how did you do this? They're like, who connected with L'Oreal? Literally cold emailed L'Oreal. And out of the hundreds of artists that applied to do perform and to work with them, they said, number one, we love your intention. We love the story and mission and values mm. that you bring. But also you are in line with the artists that we support. Mm. And so I just want to say that, it's not going to take someone coming into your life and saving you and offering no. you millions of dollars for you to get to where you need to be. It's going to take you sitting down and asking really practical questions about what social contracts do I have to really think about? What trauma do I need to address in order to prepare myself? And what things do I need to do mentally in order to put myself in the position to receive the things coming in because the blessings that we want are already on their way or showing up, but often we're blocking them because the subconscious programming that we have become used to is telling us that we are not worthy. And so if you can just take a step back at every area of your career and you can ask yourself that, don't put shame on your plate or when shame shows up and says that you're doing a bad job, take it, swallow it and figure out what environment you need to get into and mm. the people that you need to be around in order for them to help answer those questions, not from a lack mentality, but from a mentality of you have everything that you need already and you solely just need to work upward from there. Thank you, Dom. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Dominic Grant. Okay, so that was Dominique Grant. I know if you were experiencing what I was experiencing, then you just took some amazing gems away. What a brilliant, brilliant leader, incredible heart, incredible soul. And what a way to kick off our first season and also Financial Literacy Month. Like I said, please do not get scared when you hear the word economics. Please don't get scared when you hear that we're going to be, you know, talking about money because as you can see, it's such a different lens that we approach this topic through. It's that lens of the conscious economy. And again, you're going to get more familiar with this approach and these terms as we go through the lineup of this season. So we are excited. Give us a like, give us a follow and check out Dominique. She is on all social media platforms, including TikTok and Instagram, and we'll link her accounts below. And for those of you that are tuning in this time, I hope you'll join us next time on the Conscious Economics Podcast. Bye for now.